Welcome to another episode of Tough Men of Faith. Nick, you're already over there laughing. I'm trying to intro the series or the podcast. You know, maybe I just missed something a minute ago, but I thought that somebody else was going to do intro. Um, oh, do you think you were introing the podcast? I'm glad I didn't, but yeah, I thought I was going to, so... Go ahead. I mean, I didn't get a finish. No, it's okay. Uh, welcome back to Tough Men of Faith. Was that your intro? Yeah. That's uh, the reason I took it. Right, see? <laughs> um, Nick Robertson here with R.T. Stringer. Today, we kind of bounced around on some topics a little we bit, did. but... I think you've been reading a book, right? I have. I've been gone for a couple of weeks yeah. and just got back home. Wait and a minute. Where have you been for the last couple of weeks? I've <laughs> uh, been out with my Army unit. I'm in the reserves and been gone for a couple of weeks and spent a few weeks away training. So I text you quite a bit in the last <laughs> few weeks. I didn't know if I should bring up any of this, but you know what? Now seems like a good time. Okay. Um, we didn't talk about this beforehand, so I'm a little no. nervous now. So last few weeks, you've been gone couple of weeks of drill. Yep. And I've texted you a few times, not expecting you to really reply until night. You know, maybe when you get back to your bunk or whatever. I don't yeah. know how all that works. I thought for the longest time that when you go to drill, mm-hmm. I thought you did like clerical stuff. Oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> I host the saying, Tough Men of Faith podcast. I know this. I'm not saying like you are some secretary for the <laughs> Army or something. But I thought, you know, new guys are coming in and... I know that you're a chaplain, and you're maybe getting their information. You're figuring out which uh, which religion to put on their headstone kind of thing. You know, I, I, I don't know what you do exactly, but I assumed that it wasn't as much Army stuff as it was chaplain stuff. Yeah. So this week, I text you, and I'm like, you know, trying to send some words of motivation. I'm like, hey, you know, hope you have a great day. Don't do anything stupid. Yeah. Don't get yourself killed. Yep. I don't know what you're doing. And you're like, oh, flying in a helicopter today. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> this sounds nothing like clerical stuff. And then so I just kind of let it go. And then a few days later, I'm down around uh, the Camp Atterbury area doing some work. Mm-hmm. I text you. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? You need a battle buddy? And you said, I just came out of a gas chamber <laughs> doing, I'm guessing, tear gas training yeah. of some sort. And <laughs> I'm glad you didn't call me 30 minutes beforehand <laughs> because I was in the area and I would have not loved to join you. Yeah. I did not realize what you did, you know, yeah. maybe just because I've never looked into it. I've never dived into it. I thought that you did a lot of church stuff and a lot of clerical stuff and registering guys and signing them up yeah. for stuff that they may not know that they're getting signed up for. But I had no idea you were like really doing army stuff. Um, yeah. I wish people could see my look of disappointment in you over here. <laughs> there is no look of disappointment. You sent me a picture after you came out of the gas chamber. I did, didn't I? That... I saved immediately. Did you save that? I shouldn't have sent it. I wasn't thinking straight. I sent yeah. it to you and um, one 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 other friend. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I saved the picture just in case. It was um, bad, like because you. I think that gas chamber aged you by ten to fifteen years in a matter of I don't know how long you're in there. I'm guessing minutes, but it could have been thirty for all I know. I mean, I'm not trying to talk down your your service any more than I already have, but it was a rough picture. It was. It looked like it was a rough. Well, Previous I mean, 30 minutes. The snot um, comes from your nose all the way to the ground when you yeah, get out of there. I'm sure. Um, the sweat's everywhere. I'm glad the snot part was gone in the picture. It was. By the time it, I got to my phone, the snot was gone. It looked like it was a terrible... And I texted you. I was like, hey, man, that looks like it sucks. <laughs> and you, being you, text back, it was unpleasant. <laughs> like, wow, you couldn't have talked that up any more than just unpleasant. You had to say, it was unpleasant. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm sorry for... I owe you an apology for what I thought you did. Yeah. At, I think probably what would make this even if maybe we brought in some 
mace or tear gas. Oh, really? And I just sprayed you in the face with it. To... I have a friend that's a cop. He tasered me once. No way. Is it on video? No, it's not on video. He's, you know, he'd probably get fired and lose his job for it. And I don't think you're supposed to waste those taser cartridges, but, you know. Well, that's not a waste. It's... I mean. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I threw a snowball in at his car, and I didn't realize his window was down. And, so you, uh, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me. Yeah, go let ahead. Me, let me set this story. Yeah. You throw a snowball at a cop's car. Well, so it's my buddy, and okay. I know it's him. That, that's all right. That's all right. Um, his window's down. So it's dark outside. It it's dark. Okay, it's snowed, getting better. Yep. Just snowed the first two or three inches, you know, first time of the year kind of yep. thing. He pulls in, and I'm thinking, first thing in the morning, let's blast him with a snowball. <laughs> that, yeah. And uh, so I throw a snowball. I just kind of lobbed it. You know, it wasn't even like you didn't a nice pitch. You are lying. <laughs> I might be fibbing a little. Anyway, so I lob a snowball at his car, <laughs> and his window's down because he's getting ready to say, you know, something along the lines of, let's clean it up here. It's probably, hey, good morning. How you doing? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, sure. It goes in, it hits his keyboard, it hits his laptop, it's all over his radio. I mean, there's snow everywhere inside of his car. And he gets out of his car, and uh, he grabs his taser. And uh, he shines the laser on me, and I'm thinking, oh, I really messed up. He's just joking. Though You think he's joking at that point, right? Yeah, I think he's just joking. It's not going to hurt. And uh, it, he was not joking, and he taser. knew that I was joking, and he thought this was the greatest way to get me back. Yeah, I, I don't know how they wrote that off. I, I guess you just say you tasered some other guy twice two weeks later. I don't know how <laughs> it works, but um, it sucks. Um, you lose all body function and just fall. Yeah, and then he's laughing. Wait, wait, you lose so, all body function? Uh, not so all did you body need function. Shower after I that? didn't. I didn't do the do or anything, but uh, <laughs> you know, um, you fall. Yeah. Um, so I fell in the snow. Now I'm soaked. He's <laughs> laughing. My friends are all laughing at work, and. Uh, it's the last time I've thrown a snowball. At a police officer. Period. A period. Yeah, I just don't throw them anymore. Yeah. You never know who has a taser in their back pocket <laughs> and who will use it. So That anyway. is the greatest story I've heard in a while. Yeah, I'd love to call him out on here, but no, I'm just scared he'd sure. get in trouble for using his taser unauthorized for a guy that wasn't exactly a criminal. I don't know. I don't know. And throw a snowball. I don't know how, how much that gets you, but I'm guessing it's not taser worthy. That is hilarious. Yeah. yeah anyway, so, sorry, man, yeah. to get up way off topic, but that's okay. Um, yeah. I, well, so we're still on. You're going to intro the series. I, I, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you're back. Yeah. I'm glad that you're alive, safe. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't die while doing clerical work. Um, yes. No. Pa- know, no or, paper cuts for me this year. Right. This year. Um, <laughs> doing all right. Yeah. So we're going to start a new one today. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about being motivated. I thought we were going to call it. You are worth it. You are worth it. Stay motivated. You are worth it. Wait, Stay we gotta motivated. we gotta work on this before. We need to. We'll get better. Yeah, we will. Well, we here's will. the thing. I think this is the confusion. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. But this is gonna be like very timely this week, like when it comes out. Okay. So I, I read a book uh, past week, and one of the things we said we want to do on this podcast is introduce guys to other guys who we'd say, hey, this would be a good resource, like maybe someone you should follow, yeah. another podcast, or yep. you know, like Matt Barnes, when we interviewed him, this is someone you should, you should, you know, yeah, pay attention, pay to. attention to him, he's what he's saying and things. And so same thing with books, like, hey, here's a book that we've read. We think, hey, this would be a good book for you guys to yeah. read. Maybe you can learn some things from it. Maybe Reading a book. Maybe I should have read the book. Well, that's okay. I, I read this book. Maybe you can read the next one. Does it have pictures? It does have some pretty cool pictures. <laughs> That's um, all I need. So you can look at the 16 pictures in the book. and uh, <laughs> I can come up with my own cliff notes. <laughs> yeah. But the book is called You Are Worth It. Okay. Um, but there's one of the chapters at the end that I thought we would focus on about staying motivated. Yeah. Like, how do we stay motivated as men? Because that's a tough thing. It is. Right? I mean, it's some yeah, days guys are work, so easy to give up. Or in your um, marriage. Right. Or, or there's just times, like, things go rough. You get in a, a tough season of life. And so yeah. I just want to give up. 
<laughs> You're laughing. Can you relate to it? I'm thinking about the time I got tasered and how I wanted to give up. <laughs> <laughs> Not to bring up old stuff. But, yeah, no, I can definitely relate. Um, you know, it's, just, it's so easy to give up. Yeah. It's, it takes so much more work and so much more persistence, I guess, yeah. um, to keep going, to keep pushing. What um, makes this book interesting is it's very timely. Okay. So the guy that wrote it, Kyle Carpenter, uh, wrote the book. He's an Afghanistan vet. Okay. Um, so he's actually a Medal of Honor winner. A lot of stuff um, going on with Afghanistan right now. A lot now. of stuff going on. So yeah. I think it'll be timely and good for us yeah. to hear his story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to just kind of read some of his book. Okay. Uh, tell some of his story. Yeah. And we'll talk through it. And then at the end, probably look through his last chapter there on Stay Motivated. Yeah. See what you and I can glean from it. Then. Okay. So it's kind of like our listeners that's going to hear you and I talking yeah. about a book that This is I'm actually reading. perfect for me because I generally, when I do a book, I do a book on tape. Mm-hmm. So I don't physically have to read it, but I can listen to it. And this is kind of like a book on tape. But yeah, I'm not a professional. Um, narrated by <laughs> Pastor uh, RT. Book reader. And I'm yes. just going to read a I'm few sure sections. Know, I'm sure you know Morgan Freeman, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure that you can captivate me. Yeah. You know, really get the point across. This week, I'm going to put a plug for a book here right there. Okay. Not this book, but another book. You get me off topic. Sorry. Have you ever heard, there was a YouTube clip that went viral a few years ago about Make Your Bed. Is Admiral McRaven is the one who did it. Okay. You should just go on YouTube. Oh, wait a minute. I have. Like if you want to change the world. Is it a college graduation? A college graduation. That was phenomenal. Yeah, it was excellent. So I've kind of followed that guy's career. Keep up on things. So he was a a Navy SEAL. He's retired now. But he wrote a book called Sea Stories. Okay. And it tells, and it's, he's basically like, hey, old guys from the Navy used to sit around and tell stories about their days back on the ship. Right. So he's like, I felt like I should do that. Back when they had to sail yeah. five miles to wherever, right. uphill both ways. So listen, this guy. I got you. This guy, he was, um, he kind of was involved with the, the capture of Saddam Hussein. Okay. His group was. He was the one that oversaw Captain Phillips. Yeah. He was on the ship that got taken hostage by yeah. the pirates. Yeah. So he orchestrated all that for the Navy SEALs to free him. Okay. And then his guys were the ones who caught Osama bin Laden. Really? And so he tells the stories behind that. So the book is called Sea Stories. Here's the best thing about the book. He probably the, has some really good stories. Really good stories. Yeah. So I mean, that's the three big ones, but yeah. there are a ton of stories in right. there. And he uh, reads the book himself. Okay. So it's it's really good. Sea, sea Stories. Sea Stories book. You guys okay. should uh, check that out. I'm All right. So let's out. keep going. Yeah, anyway. Sorry, you got me off track. I okay, that. this book, You Are Worth It by Kyle Carpenter. Yeah. So we're going to see how this episode goes. I just tried to highlight a few things in the book okay. to, to capture some stuff. Yeah. I'm going to read through it. Let's start chapter one. Is that a good place to start? It's <laughs> a great place to start. All right. Afghanistan. Marines are only half joking comparing it to the surface of the moon. There are signs of life. The landscapes and villages are interwoven with lush agriculture fields, tree lines, and irrigation canals. But other parts are bleak, rocky, and dusty. One of the first things you notice about the place is the dust. It consumes you. From the ground to the air, from your gear to the throat, the dust takes over. With every step, a little cloud of dust puffs up underneath your boots. No matter how hard packed the ground is, it puffs up. By 2010, after nine years of a U.S. presence in Afghanistan, the ground of the major bases was about as hard packed as it could be. The temperature is somehow more dramatic than you expect. It's hotter than you imagined was possible, and it's colder in the winter than you're prepared for. The temperature extremes are more evident at night. In September, you have to drink a bottle or two of water before bed to wake up before you're going to sweat it out in your sleep. But by the start of November, your cold weather gear can't keep the frigidness from creeping into your feet during night watches, to the point that the movement becomes slow and difficult. For a U.S. Marine in Afghanistan, you might as well be on the moon. Sometimes I I think we forget about the conditions 
Yeah. These guys have found themselves in Afghanistan the last 20 years. And what's crazy is, I mean, we think about the war or the wars that have been going on over the last 20 years and just think about the heat. Yeah. Who thought about the cold? Right. I didn't think about Afghanistan as having cold winters. Every movie you've seen, every book you've read only talks about the heat. Yeah. I mean, it only showcases the heat. Yeah. He con- continues on. By November 2010, the 2nd Battalion, 9th Marines, uh, had been in the country for four months. I had enlisted not quite two years earlier at the very end of 2008 just as the U.S. and Allied joint operations were ramping up. Many of the Marines in my unit had joined around that time, too, and for most of us, this was our first combat deployment. We were physically trained, mentally hardened, and in a naive way, excited. We'd all gone into the military with our eyes open. We knew that we would almost certainly be inserted into an active war zone, but it's impossible to ever be fully prepared for it. As a small-town southern kid just a month past my 21st birthday, the situation in Afghanistan represented everything I believed in and nothing I had expected. I'd grown up saying the Pledge of Allegiance every day in school and believing that liberty and justice for all was an ideal worth fighting for. To me, it meant rooting out the bad guys who had killed almost 3,000 people from 90 countries, people of every race, religion, and ethnicity on September 11, 2001, as well as, hopefully, ending the brutal Taliban rule that had oppressed and killed so many Afghan people. So you get into that. I mean, you're talking about kids, 20, 21 years yeah. old. They're being inserted into a combat zone. Mm-hmm. They are making grown-up decisions, I mean, with a body and a brain that's not fully developed yet. Yeah. Can you imagine just being placed there? Yeah. And it happens so quick, right? He right. says, hey, I was yeah. su- southern town. Right. Just out of high school. Yeah, you're talking nine months later, and you're yeah. stuck in combat in another country in a place that looks like the moon and has frigid winters. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just think about fighting in the winter, which would suck. Yeah. He continues on, and it's saying, you know, if he had to summarize Afghanistan in one word, or part he was at at least, it would be harsh. There's a harshness to the land, to the climate, to the way of life, and to some of the people, like the guys who had been throwing grenades at us for the past two days. Then again, that may not be fair. Some of the guys who placed IEDs, uh, which are the improvised explosive devices, yeah. things IED, um, or shot at us, only did it because the Taliban threatened to kill their family if they didn't. But I guess that kind of proves my point. Afghanistan is harsh. Yeah, harsh is a good word. One of the remarkable Marines was our squad leader, Zach Stinson who stepped on an IED that had been placed underground near a wall that separated the two villages. The scariest thing about an IED is that without a metal detector, a well-placed one can almost be impossible to spot, even in broad daylight. You're lucky if the person who placed the IED is inexperienced or lazy because they will leave red flags like disturbed dirt or small trash pile that looks like it might have been constructed to hide something. On November 9th, at about 1 p.m., we were walking on patrol through one of the dried-up irrigation canals that crisscrossed the landscape. We were scanning the terrain for Taliban and making our way towards the next town. We needed to secure when another dreaded explosive went off. The shock wave of the blast rippled through our patrol. I was the fourth man in the patrol. The cloud of dust engulfed me as, as the debris rained down on us. The stomach-wrenching curiosity of who had been hit began to sink in. It took a few seconds to locate Stinson because he had been blown 15 feet and was on the other side of the wall of the canal. We found him, folded in half like a lawn chair. His one remaining foot was up by his head, and his legs were mangled. Christopher, known as Doc, our corpsman, the Marine Corps for the combat medic, quickly evaluated the scene and announced, I think Stinson is dead. It didn't seem possible that anyone could survive that. Incredibly, Stinson called out, I'm not dead, I just can't move. Doc rushed over to him to administer triage care while other Marines called in a medical evacuation helicopter. And our squad moved to provide cover. Just as we got into position, insurgents opened fire and began their attack. They often would attack after an IED blast because they knew our corpsmen would be with the casualties, leaving us exposed and vulnerable. 
Bach tried to pull Stinson to a safe location while I laid down fire to suppress the shooters. Two other Marines rushed to help Doc drag Stinson to safety behind the other canal as well. As they did, they realized that one of his legs was no longer attached to his body. What was left was simply stayed on the ground as he was dragged around the corner. While Doc applied tourniquets, Stinson asked us to take care of his wife back home who was pregnant, and he talked to us about our mission. Doc gave him an injection of morphine for the pain, but it, it didn't knock him out. He somehow remained conscious. We were under attack the entire time. We waited for the medical evacuation helicopter to arrive almost 50 minutes. It was the worst thing I've ever witnessed in my life. That's how this guy's tour wow. in Afghanistan starts. Yeah, wow. Trying to weed out the Taliban. Right. And it's incredible, these guys' stories right. that are fighting there. I mean, they're, they're in high school playing basketball and football. Yeah. And then nine months later, they find themselves on a battlefield. Yeah, kind of in the middle of a hill. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how else to word it, really. Yeah. Um, and, and then you got to keep going, right? And so that's, right. I'm skipping some large chunks of section here, but then yeah. he starts talking to basically, hey, we got to, our buddy's gone, but we got to keep moving forward with the mission. Yeah. I mean, you just watch your buddy's leg fly across yeah. A, yeah. a drainage ditch. I don't know. It just, I mean, and back to the point that I made before, you're talking kids. Yeah. Sorry. I just, uh, I keep going back to that. I just keep thinking that me at 18, 19, 20, 21 yeah. years well, old. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're men, but I understand what you're saying because. Yeah, they're men, but I mean, they have no life experience. They yeah, have, this is their, you know, they're just. Heroes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, heroes for he sure. Continue, listen to this. He continues on. He says, 10 days later, word came from command that we needed to expand our area of operation to create more of a presence in that area. My squad got orders to help establish a new compound in the village to the south, the same one where Hughes had stepped on the IED because it was a Taliban stronghold in the region. It was late afternoon, and we picked up our gear to start our push from patrol base towards the village as soon as the sun started to set. The walk was only about two clicks, um, but it was better to do it at night because the Taliban rarely attacked when it was dark. They know we have night vision capability. The second squad had found a house with a fairly good vantage point when they had patrolled the area earlier, and our job was to take that building and use it for observing the village as a home base as we sent out patrols. Whenever that happened, we had vouchers we would give to the occupants, which they would take to the nearest Ford operating base in the area where they would get paid for the use of their building. Our move there was rather uneventful. The people in the home were reluctant at first to leave, which is un understandable, but eventually they accepted the extremely generous voucher and cleared out so we could set up. So we see that he's continuing on. They're setting up a space in that same area yeah. uh, where his buddy had, had been hit. Uh, the next day, it's his turn to stand post on the roof of the building, and this is to scan the surrounding landscapes and the buildings for any enemy activity. And then an enemy sniper started firing on my position with me and his crosshairs. The rest of the guys on the ground floor were scrambling to fill sandbags and toss them up so I could continue stacking them to build a protective wall around me while I laid down, manning my squad automatic weapon, a light machine gun. Hey, you ever shot one of those? I've not. Sorry to sorry to cut off your story. No, I haven't. Have there's you? a machine gun shoot that they do every year in Kentucky. That was the gun that I wanted to shoot was the, the saw, the mm -hmm. M240. That thing is phenomenal. Sorry, go ahead. We'll have to it's heavy. I can't imagine being overseas and carrying that thing. Yeah. But it is awesome. All right, I'm going to get back to the story. Okay. But we need to take a road trip down there for Tough Men of We Faith. do, yeah. All right, oh, do that'd be a really good... Uh, let's do it. All right. We'll go live. Producer Blake, we're going live from Kentucky. Knob Creek. Back to the story. What was it, where was that before Nick interrupted me? Uh, you're talking oh, yeah. about the saw. Yeah, so anyway, he's up there. They're firing on him. We were short on sandbags, and the helicopter supply drop that was supposed to be delivering more supplies for us had been delayed. So we had to make do with what we had. Usually, the enemy tend to be a pretty terrible shot. I don't know if it was that the fact that they were using Cold War weapons left over from the Soviet invasion in 1979 or because many of them were goat herders and, and poppy farmers rather than formerly trained soldiers. But this sniper did not let up, and unfortunately for me, he happened to be the rare skilled shot among the Taliban. Although I was able to build a small barricade on the roof without getting hit, 
Each time he fired, I could feel a thud where the bullet struck the sandbags I was laying behind. As the afternoon sunlight started to fade, I was instructed to get off the roof and keep posting the room directly below. I gouged out a little hole in the wall so I could have a better vantage point. And about 45 seconds later, a rocket came barreling into the roof and the sandbag wall I just built completely obliterated the post position. It was as if I had stepped into the middle of a tornado. The de debris cloud surrounding me was so thick that I couldn't see and couldn't breathe. My squad members immediately realized what had happened to the roof, and Doc was scrambling for his medic bag, ready to rush in to see if there were any signs of life. Somehow, I wasn't injured, and was able to get up and walk out of the room on my own. To hear my buddies describe the scene, no one realized I was alive until I appeared like Chuck Norris, strolling out without a scratch from an epic cloud of war. Never mind that my ears were still ringing and I was seeing double. It was better the way they told it. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Up there getting shot at by snipers and then I just can't imagine. a rocket comes flying at him. Hiding behind um, sandbags on a rooftop. Yeah. On a building that you just rented from somebody. You imagine those people? They might go cash in their voucher, but they're going to be disappointed when they come home. Yeah. Maybe a few more holes in the building. So I'm going to skip several chapters. I know we're going long here. Oh, you're fine. We're going to go to I'm chapter. I'm enjoying the story. You know Morgan Freeman, but this is not bad. <laughs> um, I'm going to go to chapter seven, which is called The Grenade. Okay. Uh, so it's Sunday, November 21st, 2010, approximately 1 p.m., which would be 3.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is hot. Everything is covered in a fine layer of dust. Our gear, our uniforms, our skin. It's a relief to be still for a moment rather than having to go out on patrol. Then again, when you're walking, somehow the sun doesn't seem to be quite as intense, as if it's baking you on the spot. The compound where we have set up is a small and relatively calm. Life seems to be going on just as it normally would, as if a half a dozen Marines weren't operating out of one of the houses. Normally, a tiny cluster of homes like this would make scanning for suspicious activity pretty easy. But there's only a two-story rooftop that hasn't collapsed, which means we can't get a full view of the entire compound as we'd like without exposing more of ourselves than is safe. You never know when the enemy could be watching, ready to strike. Nick and I, Nick's a, a buddy of his that he's talked about some in the previous chapters, are on post, sitting against our Afghan sandbag recliners, joking about getting off the roof if a grenade makes it to us. Presumably, there's a soft sound and a small puff of dust as something lands near our feet, but I don't remember it. All I know is that my body reacts instinctively before my mind even registers what it is. Then suddenly, it feels like I've been hit with a really hard in the face. I can't see a thing. It's as if I'm looking at a TV with no connection, just white and gray static. My ears are ringing extremely loudly, but my body is numb. There's no connection, no through line, no logical progression of events. I just remember heat, laughter, and then a massive impact as if all my senses go haywire for reasons I can't explain. Everything happened at once. Two grenades exploded, but those landed in the courtyard of the, the compound. The openness of the courtyard and the old mud and straw walls, solid as concrete from centuries of baking in the sun, absorbed most of the blast. A third grenade was a dud. A fourth grenade must have been lobbed a bit higher than the others by whoever threw them at us because it landed on the second-story roof where Nick and I were perched. What happened next, I'm not certain. The last thing I remember clearly is laughing with Nick before starting to move towards something. But in the weeks and years after, several investigations, including an extensive review done in advance of the Medal of Honor decision, dug deeply into the events of the next few seconds of my life. While writing this book, I requested and read for the first time the Medal of Honor investigation. What showed up on those pages felt surreal. Working off that report and conversations with those who saved my life, here's what I know, according to the official report. Four eyewitnesses saw Lance Corporal Carpenter rise up to a standing or kneeling position immediately prior to the blast. Multiple eyewitnesses saw Lance Corporal Body's body lying directly over the blast hole immediately after the grenade detonated. The Explosive Ordnance Disposal Staff non-commissioned officer attached to platoon provided his expert opinion that the grenade had to be covered by a heavy object to blast through the roof and that the significant damage to Lance Corporal's personal protective equipment, particularly his small arms protective insert, his plate carrier, 
was consistent with a grenade detonating immediately under him and close proximity to his body. In other words, he says, I threw myself over the grenade. Apparently, I don't even remember thinking about it, and I certainly don't recall actually doing it. I only wow. recall the after effects. What an incredible story. That is crazy. Um, him and his buddy are just sitting up there, and it's one of those where he may have been able to jump to safety, but instead he just jumps right on the grenade, right. thinking it's going to take his life. Yeah, that uh, brings a whole new meaning to laying a grenade. Yeah. That's that's absolutely crazy. It's nuts. And to me, I mean, I'd, I'd encourage guys, like, get the book and read it. It's called You Are Worth It by Kyle Carpenter because we're skipping huge chunks of it, of course. Right. But from there he talks about what is – you know, what happens to his body. And I mean, it, his entire face is torn up. They oh, don't think sure. he's going to make it. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's broken. It's just bad. And so the book then goes and he talks about the next few days, what that looks like. And a lot of, he can't remember, but then he spends a lot of time talking about his recovery. Yeah. And so that's a long process. Oh, I'm sure. Years. I'm, I'm sure that's a terrible, I'm sure it's a hard process. Yeah. So uh, if you're writing a book that says you are worth it, it means you've thought about it. Before. Yeah. That's uh that's pretty wild. It is. Uh, and then you're talking about a kid. Again, sorry to keep bringing that, that point, but, I mean, you're talking young young, young men, men yeah. um, that are who, who made a decision to lay on a grenade. Thank God he had yeah. a plate carrier on. Yep. So I won't go into all the details of yeah. what it looked like from there, but what I wanted for the guys today to kind of hear at the end, you know, he really drives home some stuff. One of the chapters is, hey, you are worth it. Yeah. But one of them is about, hey, staying motivated and right. things he has learned about staying motivated to keep moving yeah. when it would have been easy for him to give up Oh yeah, for uh, sure. in his recovery time and after everything he went through in the surgeries. Yeah. So towards the end, he has a chapter called Stay Motivated. So I just want to kind of highlight a few things from that Yeah. Um, that I got from it. And then maybe we can talk about a couple things. For sure. Chapter 14, Stay Motivated. Stay Motivated. Any Marine reading this is rolling their eyes right now with these two words, Stay Motivated, are pretty well worn within the core. Leadership loves to say them when you're in information or on a grueling run or anytime there's lag line in the conversation. In fact, it seems like when you are cold and wet and hungry and dirty and missing home, that's when they say it the most, stay motivated. That line has become a bit of a joke that Marines will toss around sarcastically in really miserable situations, and it seems everyone hates their life. But still, there's wisdom in that phrase. There are going to be times when you want nothing more in this world than to give up and throw in the towel. But you know that, somehow, you have to keep pushing forward. Even if it's just to take care of the other Marines to your right and your left, that's when the idea of staying motivated really resonates. The, the truth is, motivation is hard. It's hard to get motivated, and it's even harder to stay motivated, especially when you've been knocked down lower than you ever could imagine. During those few, first few months back from Afghanistan, my hospital room was a testament to me not being okay. I was on a breathing machine. I was on a feeding tube. I needed at least one, but sometimes two, corpsmen sitting with me every minute of the day to monitor my vitals. As grateful as I was for these things, there's nothing about a setup like that that projects a message of confidence. In no way does this convey a sense of, you're going to be just fine. Everything communicates, this guy's barely hanging on. It's so hard to keep your mind fixed on better days ahead when you're still relying on a machine to put oxygen in your body to get you through the night. Then subconsciously you hear the words, stay motivated. Then he tells some more stories, and then he goes on, when, when you've been brought this low, you're seeing the world from a whole new perspective. And the bigness of it all can overpower you. And somewhere in your broken, scrambled, mixed-up version of whoever you are right now, as you try to rebuild your sense of self, there may be a piece of you who trusts that there's life on the other side of the storm. But right now, the waves are so tall that you can't see over them. When that happens, stay motivated. Yeah. I just love this chapter in this book where he says, hey, I've been through this. This is how I get through it. You've got to find a way to stay motivated yep. when you hit your lowest points. You uh, kind of brought this up in your sermon the other day when you said that God will bring you through it. He's not going to bring you to the storm and abandon you. Yeah. Uh, he will bring you through the storm to the other side. You're going to weather it, but he will bring you through it. Yes, we, we're talking to Psalm 23 yeah. as a church. There's the verse, 
even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right. Through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what I love about that verse. Not to it. Nope. Not just before it and, hey, good luck to you. He will bring you through it. Yeah. Doesn't leave you in it. Yeah. Sometimes when I preach, I, I like... Man, that was good right. for myself. Yeah. So that was one of the sermons this week because even as I've went through some things, it was a good reminder this week when I was saying that, hey, it's kind of like a hallway. Right. And that hallway may be dark. It may be a scary time. There's a lot of unknowns in that dark hallway. But that scripture tells us that I'm just walking through that hallway. Yeah. It's, that there's something better on the, the other side. The hallway is not endless. It's not a place. It's not a pit. You're not falling into it and yeah. staying there. It's, it's a hallway. You have to walk yeah. through it. Agree. And then I was trying to jot down some notes like, what is it? How do I stay motivated? And thinking back through Psalm 23 and then even thinking about Kyle Carpenter's book, like when he's encouraging you, like stay motivated. And one thing I like to do when I read books is like to write down some notes myself. Like, yeah. okay, so what am I learning from this? Right. For me, it's two things. One is I have to know why I'm doing it. Yeah, I see your little page markers over there. I, well, yeah, I write all over my books when I read them. Well, I'm thinking that, I mean, you know, you start highlighting things and you mm-hmm. start writing things down on the sides of the pages and, you know, you put a page marker in it and it's it's good so you can go back to it. Yep. And, but, yep. I mean, it's kind of like you said. I mean, you, you want to stay motivated. What do you need to do? You need to push forward. I mean, You do. But I think you need to know why you're doing it. Yeah, right? so what's absolutely. So what's the, what's the purpose? What is it I'm working for? What's the overall bigger vision of my life? Yeah. So if I'm having trouble staying motivated in my marriage, if I'm having trouble staying motivated in my job, yeah. having trouble staying motivated to work out, whatever it may be, you know, what's my why? Right. So what's my purpose? Yeah. And so when I when I get that, when I have a hard day, a morning I don't want to get up and do the right thing, I know my bigger why. Yeah. And then I also see the big picture. Yep. This is the big picture of why I got to get up and why I got to stay motivated. Yeah. So. so you find your purpose, you push forward, and that you know that anything that pops up that's going to be a struggle or a hard time is something that you're going to have to go through. Um, yeah. It's not going to be a forever. It's not an end all be all. It's something to push through. Yeah. Agree. Valleys are here, but valleys aren't here to last forever. Exactly. I want to read just one more thing from this book yeah. where he talks some about the Taliban and one last kind of story he stares about, shares about staying motivated. Yeah. Stay motivated. People start to question if your sacrifice was really worth it. And you have to remind yourself of the stories that no one else saw. There's a local Afghan boy, about 12, who loved the Marines and would always salute us when we walk out of our patrol base on foot. He and his eight-year-old brother even made a game of trying to snatch water bottles and, and goodies from our pouches on the back of our equipment. He goes on to say the two boys got to be our friends with us and the, through months of talking and playing with us would sometimes tell us where well-hidden IEDs were buried. So these two boys that would they'd give candy and things right, so started yeah. to tell them where IEDs are at. Our explosive ordnance guys made a good show of trying to make it appear that their discoveries were accidental before the explosives were diffused. But in Taliban strongholds, eyes are always watching. Or one night, about two weeks after I was evacuated, a grenade was thrown over the wall of our compound and detonated at exactly the spot where my now empty bunk sat. No one was injured, but it obviously shook everyone up a bit. A few nights later, that same boy who used to salute us showed up at our patrol base in the middle of the night to tell us that he is the one that actually threw the grenade. He was sobbing and begging the Marines to forgive him and not to kill him. The Taliban had caught on that he was friendly with us and that fewer IEDs were being detonated. They suspected that he was the cause. So they beat him senseless, but they didn't kill him. Instead, for his final punishment, they dragged him to the wall of our compound, placed a grenade in this boy's hand, and pulled a pin. A 12-year-old child was forced to either kill or be killed. That was just one story of countless others we heard. 
Stories of violence, ritual stoning of women, pushing people off buildings for being gay, and children forced to become weapons of war. How is one not affected witnessing the degree of evil? You remind yourself why you were over there in the first place, to put a stop to the Taliban and their torture and oppression of their own people. You remind yourself that if you were able to weaken their stronghold or just give hope to those innocent people, even in the smallest of ways, so that one day they might taste the freedom of safety, then you made a difference. That helps us stay focused. That helps you stay motivated. Wow. I'm not going to say much more on that, but I, I think that's just a timely piece for yeah. where we find ourselves at right now in our country. Yeah, I think you're right. That we have a lot of young men and women who are heroes who spent years in Afghanistan and some who still bear the scars yeah. uh, from being there. From yeah, maybe I need to apologize for calling them kids, and that's not what I meant by it. Yeah. They're young people. But, yeah, they're, they're heroes. Oh. They're heroes. And then th- there's many others who didn't make it back. Exactly. And so there's moms and dads and family members whose sons and daughters went and gave their life. Right. And uh, Protect and preserve freedom. So I thought it was timely that we just kind of covered this today. Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. I'm going to encourage um, you guys that this is a good book to get and read. Uh, you Are Worth It by Kyle Carpenter. But also encourage you to ask, how do you stay motivated? You know, what is it that keeps you going in life? Yeah. You know, you're, you're probably not going to jump on a grenade and find yourself in years of recovery at Uh, army hospital but when you are struggling in life what is it that keeps you going how do you keep going how do you keep fighting for your family how do you keep fighting to press forward how do you keep fighting for the the vulnerable and for others just like the book said how do you stay motivated anything else on this no without getting deeper into this afghanistan stuff that's going on right now i don't think i'm one that needs to push what i think and my opinion on what's going on right now i feel like it is untimely the things that are going on over there but my opinion is just that it's my opinion yeah all right i just want to call attention to this book and encourage you guys to get a copy of it and yeah. read it and look forward to dropping a new episode next thursday morning at 5 a.m goodness 5 a.m 5 a.m is when they come out Whew. all right all right thanks for joining us on tough men of faith see you next time thanks for listening